0: Amen. Many years ago, I was—I uh, discovered that I'm actually a computer computer engineer. You may find this hard to believe, but I had the title of computer engineer. I went to a conference over in uh, New Zealand with a guy who invited me to come along, and we went over there to do a community development conference. And everybody had they had different speakers, and we were one of them. And and at the conference. They had all these projectors and doing PowerPoints. Not many people knew how to get the computer to actually put the picture up on the screen. Well, I discovered two little buttons called Control F, no, F, F4. I think it was F. What it, anyway, I found it anyway. So I don't even know what it is now. So I found these buttons. And of course, everyone comes along and says, Steve, how does this work? I say, no worries. I've got it. Wow, you're amazing. And then they would come and go, Oh, my computer's crashed, Steve. What do I do? And i go, I don't know. So I just turned it off and turned it back on. And it worked. And I went, wow, you're amazing. And I discovered that a really powerful little button called the reset button. You see, sometimes we need to hit the reset button, right? Sometimes in life, that reset button is the best thing that we can do. When we're talking about shifting the goalposts, sometimes it's not just shifting the goalposts, but it's resetting our shot towards the goalposts. Sometimes we need to reset. We were at this conference, and, and that was one of the, questions, the things that came from the speaker at this conference in uh, Chicago at Willow Creek. And he made this comment. Someone said, when you're going through difficult times, when you're doing it tough, what do you do? He said, I think there's two options. But the first option is press the reset button. Sometimes we just got to reset. We need to get things back into place. But I also discovered that reset's a bit scary. Hey, you ever got your phone and thought, oh, it's not working. Maybe I reset it. What would stop you from wanting to reset your phone? You lose your information. You might lose your pictures. You might lose all sorts of stuff. You might even lose your passwords, but you've already lost those already anyway. You've probably forgotten them. But you might lose something and we're afraid of losing something. In sometimes in our walk with God, we've added and we've added and we've changed settings and we've changed this setting and we've changed that setting. And we've got more information into our spiritual computers and it slows everything down and after a while it comes to a place where we need to press the reset button but we're afraid to set the reset button because if I set the reset button if I press that what might I lose what could I lose could I lose all those things I've done in the past my history but what about if I press the reset button, would I lose some of those pictures? If I set the reset button in my walk with God, what about all those things, that I, those experiences I want to hang on to? Those relationship issues, those relationship problems that I've got. You know, he did this to me and she did that to me. And if I press the reset button, I might lose that. I don't want to hang on to that because that gives me security. But I think God is saying it's time to set the reset button. Press it again. Go back to the default settings of our relationship with God. I wonder today if, we, if Steve Hall would be prepared to press that reset button and go back to the default settings. When I was up uh, tr- uh, with Margie, we were traveling up north and we were um, in the bush and have my quiet time, and the one word that kept coming through over and over again in my quiet time was this. Just love God and love other people. Just love God and love other people. That's the reset. That's the default position. Our default position as Christians, our default position as transformed lives is simple. Love God and love others. That's the default. But we put all these other things on, don't we? I was talking to a pastor this week. He was saying about how they're into to this ministry and that ministry and, and that and that. And we keep adding all these good things on top and these good things on top. And it slows us down like the computer that's got too much information. And sometimes you've got to press the reset and go back to the basics. Love God and love one another. Love God. Love one another when we were over in um, in Haiti, there was a uh, um, at the celebration the uh, um, what was it outgoing director for Haiti was up there speaking and he gave this this um, I guess it was wasn't a vision but it was a heartfelt desire he said one day, one day I would love to see one day I think we should have a compassion graduate, a compassion child who knows Jesus leading this country? Wouldn't that be awesome? This corrupt country that needs some stability, what if we could have a compassion child who has grown and developed, who loves Jesus leading this country? What a great vision. Well, we were at dinner, our last dinner before we left Haiti, and we met some compassion graduates. And one of those um, graduates, they were a lot older than I thought, he must have been about 35, 40, I'm not sure, but I was sitting next to him and he was asked to introduce himself and said, so, you know, my name's Larkin and I'm a doctor. And I went, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm a gynecologist. That's pretty cool. And not only that, I'm a lawyer. Oh, okay, what else do you do in your spare time? So he's a lawyer and he's also an advisor to the minister. And I go, whoa. Where's this guy get the time from? And as we're talking, we also discovered that that at this particular time, the government in Haiti has just got rid of all its its, its ministers and they're re-electing them, and this gentleman is going to be one of the next ministers in parliament. We're sitting talking to him. This is a compassion child. We're sitting talking to him, and he says, one day I'm going to be the prime minister. Here I am sitting alongside the guy who actually was the vision of the guy who spoke the first day we arrived. The exciting thing about this, though, as I was talking to this young man, or this, he's young for me, okay, as I'm talking to him, I said, so what would you do in this country? He said, we need stability because, you see, under the surface, listen to this, in the ground, we have so many resources that we haven't tapped into. See, buried under the ground, there are heaps of resources, but not only in the ground, on our shores. It's the Caribbean. It's a beautiful place. The beaches are wonderful, but see, no one will actually do anything there. There's no income. Why? Because there's no stability. And I wonder sometimes in the church, as I was thinking about this message, deep down in the church, if we were to reset, what is the gold under our surface? What is the gold that's been buried that we can't dig out? Because on the surface there's a whole heap of instability, and yet our default position is simple: love God, love others. What if this was a? What if the church? I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about church in Perth. Was to just simply love God and love people? I want to take you to a story today in Scripture which I've, I've never preached on, I suddenly realised, and yet it's a common story. Everyone else preaches on it, so I thought I'd have a go. So let's have a look at John 21. John 21. Interesting story. Let's get a bit of background to John 21. John 21 is like this. Jesus has died on the cross, right? That was a little bit before. You may remember that Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus dies, he rises again, comes back to life, and he meets with his disciples down on the beach. They're down on the beach, down by the river there, by the lake there, and they're down there, they're out fishing. Jesus says, you're not catching anything, are you fellows? Try the other side. So they try the other side, and they pulled in a heap of fish. Jesus has got the fire going on the beach, Been there for a while, there's coals burning. And the disciples came along and he starts to feed them. Isn't that amazing? And then you get this little account in John 21, verse 15. Let me read it to you. You follow along up on the screen um, if you can see it there. It goes like this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Question. Do you love me more than these? Now, I'm not sure who the lees were because some people suggested that the lees might have been all the fish that they caught because, remember, he was a fisherman and he would have been excited about the miracle Of the fish, or did he talk about the other disciples that he also loved? But the question was, Do you love me more than these? That question I want to give you today do you love God more than whatever these would be to you? It might be your family, it might be your possessions, it might be your career, it might be your successes. But if we're going to press the reset button, first place is, Do you love God? more than these? That's a tough question to have after breakfast. Tough question, any time actually, but after breakfast particularly. And then he goes on to say, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed My lambs. Lost my place. Come back to it. Here we go. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He left out the these this time. I wonder why. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Full stop. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Original scripture basically says he was grieving. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said then, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you. Is that true, Pete? Oh, sorry. Um, And take you where you want to go. (laughs) I had to throw it in, Pete. Love you, brother. <laughs> Jesus, said, Jesus said this to them, to know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Hold those words. Follow me. Follow me. Remember that word? Follow me. I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Follow me. Peter turned around. And saw behind him the disciples Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about John? What are you going to do about John? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Now this is the reset button. Jesus is saying this by the lake. He's saying this at the very spot. I'm not sure of the exact spot, but it was definitely three years ago. Jesus was on that beach talking to Peter, saying, Peter, get out of your boat and follow me. You see, he's recent years ago, three years ago, three years ago, the very, very beginning, and now three years later, he's saying, follow me. He's resetting. You see, three years have passed. Three years ago, he was out there catching fish, and Jesus said, come follow me, I will make you a what? A fisher of men. And Peter, after three years, has returned to the same place. And what is he doing? He's out there fishing, but nothing's happening. It's good for us to return to the first place where Jesus called us. It's good for us to go back to the original place. It's good for us to reset because three years is a long time. Three years, lots of things happen. Three years, lots of relationships come past and and lots of things happen. Three years, you've learned a lot about Jesus. Three years, you've got lots of questions about Jesus. And some of all of that, out of all the stuff we know, I think we need to get back to the lake and hear the same words again. Follow me. Twice Jesus said that in that scripture. Follow me. Our reset button means let's go back. Peter had gone back to the start. After three years, he's hit the reset button and he is there. And I want to suggest to you, there are three questions Jesus asked. You might say, no, he didn't. He asked one question three times. I want to suggest there are three questions in this scripture. And as I pondered it this week, I felt there were three questions for Steve. As Steve looks at saying, reset. All this stuff that we've been doing, all these ideas, all this stuff you're going through How about press the reset button and come back to the lake? Come back to the beginning. Come back to your first relationship. What does it say in Revelation? Return to your first love. Return to the first love. Reset button. Go back to that first time he called you. I think there's three questions that he asks here. The first question that I think that that, uh, Jesus asks us in the reset is this, do you know God's love? You say, that doesn't say that there. Where does that say there? It doesn't ask that question. I think he does. I'll tell you why I think he does. Because you see, Peter had originally knew that love of God. He knew that calling. But you see, stuff has got in the way. And so that grief that it says he felt, he felt grief. He felt a loss. What had he lost? You see, he'd messed up three days ago. He messed up three days ago. He was actually at that place where he was full on in love with God and he knew God's love. But you see, something happened that separated him. And yet the Bible says nothing can separate you except only us, that we turn our backs. And I want to suggest to you, Peter was probably struggling. With knowing God's love and his forgiveness at that particular time. Yes, I'm reading into the scripture. Yes, I'm reading into but I think it starts off with: Do you know God's love for you? Because we're told that he loved you before you even loved him. Before you even thought about him, he loved you. Do you know God's love? Do we know that depth of his love in my life? Because that's the reset button. I want to ask you, do you know God's love? It's important because when I get to the third question, that's going to be a sign whether you do. Do you know God's love? Let me show you this beautiful picture. If it's up there. It's a beautiful picture. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't she beautiful as Margie? But this picture... It was was an amazing story behind this little picture. We were in Haiti, right? We were it's in a poor village, a very, very, very poor village. Probably one of the most poorest I've ever been to. And it was pretty dirty. And we'd been to visit a lady in a house who lived in a house that wasn't, was not probably about a third of the side of this stage. Um, and that was a whole house with a baby. We walked back down this beautiful scenic, look. We walked back and we went back to the, where our car was and we're standing there all talking and sharing our stories and this little child just came along, just walked in front of Maggie, stood probably about that far away from her, looked up at her and just lifted her hands. Maggie couldn't help it; She reached down and picked up this child, a child with no name, a child we don't know where she came from, a child we don't know who her parents were. But she reaches up her arms to Maggie, as if to say, please pick me up. Just hold me. So Margie picks this little girl up. And as she picks this little girl up, she snuggles her head into Maggie's shoulder. And Margie was in another world at this particular time. And I was starting to panic about how I was going to get through customs with this child <laughs> on Margie's. And she ended up just feeling so comfortable, we thought she was going to go to sleep. It was beautiful, but it reminds me. It reminds me about our relationship with Jesus, that sometimes we just need a good hug. You see, Maggie did a little bit of research on this, and she discovered that one of the common symptoms of a child that has been detached is that they will have a tendency to reach up to anybody and just want to be hugged, and yet when it comes to their family, they will push them back. And I want to suggest to you that the detachment that sometimes we have felt from God causes us to come to a place with our hands up saying, just hug me. God, would you just lift me up? I need to know your love. All this stuff around me, I need to know your love. I want to suggest that sometimes in all of our busyness of life, we need to stop and reach our hands up and say, God, I need a hug. Hey, do me something. I want to do a little experiment. Everybody stand up. Everyone stand up. Oh, it's good that Peter's here. It's good. That Peter, come up here. Come up here, Peter. Hi, it's good. Now, I want everyone to turn to someone next to you and give them a hug. Go on, just just do a little bit of a hug test. This is a hug test. If you're married, just make sure you put a time timer on it. Okay. Now, and if you don't know the person but you'd like to know them more, that's okay. Right. Now, Peter, you can sit down because Peter is a hugger. Right. Who knows that Peter's a hugger? You see, there are different types of hugs. Now, when Pete was working here at the office, we used to describe Pete's hugs. Does anyone know how we used to describe Peter's hugs? Go ahead. What were they? Yeah, no. The aeroplane hug. You ever see Pete? Pete would come up. Like this. Oh, Steve. Whoa. Whoa. He does the airplane hug? How many people do the aeroplane hug? <laughs> Only Peter does the aeroplane hug. Right. So now Pete comes along, right? And and he wants to give me a hug. So, Pete, just do your aeroplane hug. Now, some people, some people, yeah, receive hugs as if to say, I don't deserve this. I don't want this. This is uncomfortable. Is anybody looking? But there's others. And sometimes I think we come to God as if we don't deserve a God hug. It's like there's stuff in the way. There's stuff between me and him, maybe. Maybe he said something nasty to me. So he gives me a hug and I'm going, no, just, you have to hug me. Because there's stuff in the way. Then there's the apology hug, right? See the apology hug? Okay, aeroplane hug. Okay. And the apology hug is, it's okay. Okay? Three pats. In the old days, we used to say, I'm not gay, but you can't say that anymore. But it's... It's the apology hug. I'll do this because I have to, but please, let's not do it for too long in case the word gets out that we're too close. And sometimes we do an apology hug with God. I'm with him for a while, but it's okay because I can be me tomorrow. You see, I think God wants to hug us. And when Margie hugged that little girl, it was not an apology hug. It was not a resentful hug. It was not an embarrassed hug. It was not, it was I I love you hug. Love you, Pete. And you, mate. <laughs> you can sit down now, Huggy. Okay. <laughs> you see, I think God is saying to us, I want to love you. But it means setting the reset button because to receive the love from God, I have to get rid of some stuff that's in the way. The hurt, the pain, the resentment, the arguments I'm having with somebody else. If I, I've got to get that out the way. I cannot love God. I cannot receive his love if I'm holding stuff in my heart. That's resentment. And i tell you now, it's painful because God's been doing a hard work on me and I'm finding stuff in me I don't like. And it's God's saying it's good because I need to get that out the way so that I can hug you, Steve. I need to hug you. And you need me to hug you. I want that's, that's the biggest message today. Do you know, there's an old song we used to sing, right? Remember the old song? You can sing along with me if you like. You might want to because then you won't hear me. It goes... Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible. Rubbish! Rubbish! See, Jesus loves me, this I know, not because I read it in the Bible, but because I know it in my heart. You see, if I can read about it, you can tell me about it, you can tell me God loves me, but that's going to mean nothing until I experience it and I know it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because he hugged me today. Because I spent time with him. Because I felt that love. It's, he's real. He's not just written in the books here. This becomes alive when the Holy Spirit takes it. Because what? God is love. And knowing God is when you know his love. He wants to love you. That's the start of it. Reset button. Do you know God's love? Not that he loves you, but know his love. Second question I find, which is a fairly quick one, is the question he asks. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love God? You see, Peter was struggling with that question. Why? Because you see, Peter was sitting with the other disciples. Oh, actually, I'm not gonna get up. <laughs> oh, I did my back again yesterday lifting Maggie up. Oh Maggie wasn't heavy, it was me, okay? So Margie's very light. That's how bad. So anyway, so he was sitting where? Where was he sitting? Tell me, where was he sitting? It says by the coals, right? By the fire, by the coals. There's only one other place where it talks about the coals in the scripture. And that was three days ago when Peter was standing around what? The coals, the fire. And what did he do? He denied him. Peter is sitting there at the coals and I reckon he was remembering every word he said. So when Jesus comes, what did he do? He's sitting at that coals. He's remembering that stuff. Now, it doesn't say this, but it I would suggest if you read into it, because it does say that he did was walking along and he looked behind him, I think Jesus said, get up and walk away from those coals. You see, he got up and he was walking with Jesus because it says he turned around later and said, what about him? We've got to get up from the coals to follow Jesus. We've got to get up from the coals that remind us of the things that we've been doing that separated us from Christ. Do you love me, Peter? Well, get up from the coals and stop focusing on the things that you've done because they've been forgiven. Stop focusing on your faults because they've been put out. Stop focusing on the coals of three days ago. Do you love me, Peter? Now, listen to this. Everyone knows that in that three times, Jesus used two words, right? What was the first word? Come on, you scholars. For love. The first word for love. Agape, right? What's agape? Agape is a love that's the highest of all loves. It's a love of sacrifice. It's a love of giving your life. Peter, do you love me to the place where you would give your life? Jesus was asking him the question that Peter had actually said three or four days ago, he said, I would die for you, Jesus. I would give you the agape love. So Jesus said, Peter, will you love me the way you just said before I died? And Peter says, you know I love you. Philo, a friendship love. A deep, a, a relational love, but a friendship love. That's, he said, I can love you that much because I'm not going to put my foot in it again and try and say something I can't achieve again. Jesus asked him a second time, do you agape me? Do you love me like you did? You said three days ago? And Peter says, ah, I fellow oh, you. Oh, I, I love you as a friend. I love you. I, I, I do love you. No wonder he was grieving. What was he grieving about? Because he kept going back to the coals. He kept going back to, I feel. How many times have we said, I surrender all, Lord, and I walk out of here and I actually take it all back again? How often do we make promises to God, I'll give you my life, and then we go back and say, Well, maybe not all of it? How often do we say, I'm going to give all my finances to Jesus, and then we go back and go, Well, I'll give you maybe 5%? How many times have we made promises that we haven't kept? And you see, the problem is, Jesus takes us back to those promises at the coals. But notice, the next time, the third time, Jesus says to him, Do you follow me? Not agape me. Do you follow me? Do you, will you? And he says, Yes, we do. We've got the same page. Because, see, Jesus meets you at the love, at the level of commitment that you're prepared to make. Jesus meets you at the level of the commitment. He doesn't want you to make airy-fairy commitments. He wants you to be real. And he challenged Peter. He wants us to love him, but be honest about your love. Don't stay at the coals of your failures. Don't stay at the coals of your disappointments. Don't stay at the coals of of where you've made promises you haven't kept. Get up, walk away with Jesus, and meet him together. He says, do you love me today? Do you know his love? Do you love him? And here's the third question. Do you love others? I love this. Because, you see, notice what Jesus says to Peter is this. Do you love me? Yes. Feed, or first of all, it says, take care of my lambs. Lambs need a lot of caring, right? They need to be fed. They need caring. Then he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Sheep need feeding. But it actually doesn't mean this type of feeding. Sometimes we think, oh, you've got to teach more. Actually, you've got to teach more, and I, and I believe in that. But you know what the feeding that makes you grow? Love. Feed each other love. Give each other love. In other words, he's saying to Peter, Peter, if you love me, don't, therefore, it's not a therefore in it. It's not a therefore you have to do this. If you love me, it will naturally happen. If you love me, you will care for others. If you love me, you will feed others. If you love me, you will want the best for others. If you love me, this will happen. You see, the sign of your love for God is not how much you worship. Your sign of how much you love God is how much you love others. Jesus said this. He says it in John um, 13. I'm now giving you a new commandment. See, the old commandment was love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is love others as you love yourself. But I want to give you a new commandment. Why? Because it's not about loving people as you love yourself because you're the focus. I want you to love others as what? I have loved you. That's why the question has to be, do you know his love? Because if you know his love, that's the same level to what you will love others. When we know his love, that's the level, I will love others. I think God is saying to us, church, reset. Come back to the basics. Love God. Know he loves you. Know he loves you. All that stuff that's happening, know he loves you. Love him and then naturally love others. What's, what's the fruit of the spirit? The first fruit? Love. What's the greatest gift that's been given? Love. Who is God? Love. Jesus said, Father, would you love them as you have loved me? Love. That's got to be the natural response of our relationship with God. It's got to be love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not jealous. Look at love. Corinthians 13. Look at it. That's the love he wants us to have. Reset. Reset. I'm going to do something this morning a little bit different. We're going to come into a time of communion in a moment. And I want to ask you a question. Do you need a fresh imparting of God's love? Now, if the guys don't give out the communion yet, because we can do this a little bit different. I want to ask you something. Because in all the things that you travel on in life, and all the stuff that I know that Marg and I have been travelling through, there's a time when we need to stop I say, God, I need to know one thing. I need to know your love. He already says he loves you, but I need to feel it. There's stuff that's got in the way. I need to know your love again. Fill me afresh with your love, God. I've been doing all this stuff I'm supposed to do. I've been trying all these different things, but God, I need your love. I'm going to invite you if you want, if, and you don't have to, just because you sit in your seats doesn't mean that's, that's... But maybe today, instead of sitting in your seat to receive communion, if you want to say, God, impart in me your love, that I might know your love again, I'm going to invite you to come up the front and I'm going to serve you communion. I want to serve you communion. As you come up the front, you're physically saying, God, I Want to know your love because there is no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And I call you my friends, Jesus said. He said, this is the greatest gift of love that I died for you. This is the greatest gift. The bread is a reminder of his body where he walked on earth and he related to his disciples. And the blood is the greatest gift of law. It's the blood that washes us free, that makes us clean so that we can take the hug that God wants to give us because he wants to hug you. And he wants to just embrace you. Can I just tell you one more story before we go on to that? Many years ago, Marg and I went through a pretty rough spot, um, and I was grieving pretty bad, loss of our son. And I found it really hard to worship. I loved God, I, I, I loved him, but I couldn't worship. And it was like I'd put the events of everything around my heart because it was broken inside. There's a brokenness inside me. There was a hurt inside me. And I didn't want to out because I was sick and tired of crying. And so I put a wall around it. when you put a wall around it, God says, it's really hard for me to embrace you, Steve, when you've got this hardness. and, and, And it can't hug you. And I remember one day where I I just needed to let go, let God, and I was a mess. But, you know, it's like God said, I want to get down to your heart. You know in your head I love you, but I want to get to your heart because you see that grief is causing a block for me to love you. Your grief might be your relationship with God. Your grief might be something that you've lost a friendship. Your grief might be a loss of a job. Your grief might be whatever But that grief causes a hardness. And God says, I want to hug you, but I can't while that's there. Would you let God go beyond the pain of the heart so he can hug you? Because I believe he wants to love you. He wants to fill you with his love. So you will naturally love him and you will automatically love others. It becomes part of the gift. So this is what we're going to do. If you want to receive communion at the front by saying, I want a fresh imparting of God's love. The Jesus is coming out the front here and I will serve you. And I'm going to ask the helpers to bring me a tray and I'll serve you. If you're saying that's okay, I just want to sit here and, and, and reflect on that. That's good too. You just stay in your seats. I'm going to ask the team to come up and we're going to sing that song, come to the altar. And today, whether it's physically or just sitting in your seats, I invite you to come to the altar. Let's stand together and we're going to receive the communion standing so you can still worship. And I'm going to ask you now, if you want to come up the front and receive communion, come up the front here. Come and join me. I will serve you. Um, Personally, I will serve you because I want to. Because I believe God wants to just pour his love. Thanks, buddy.